Because as we go back into our series on the book of Daniel, we're looking at it, and the tonight's topic is God still reigns when things aren't good. And uh, there's definitely joy to Sukkot, but the reality is there definitely is some stuff that is not good. And just looking at kind of when I would go home and be with my family and see what's happening with them or just friends, uh, the past two weeks, there have been a lot of stuff just going on that's not good. And so as we look at the scriptures tonight, I think that God has a word for us as we look at what Daniel had to deal with, uh, because in Daniel's life, he was dealing with tragedy after tragedy. Uh, Daniel was basically a teenager when Israel was invaded by the Babylonian Empire. He was torn away from his family. The temple was destroyed. His homeland was destroyed. And he ended up in Babylon working for the very government that destroyed his family and destroyed his home. And so as we look at Daniel's life, we see just chaos and uncertainty, and yet in the midst of that, we see this one message in the book of Daniel, God still reigns. And in every story that we've looked at in this book, at every vision and every dream that Daniel's interpreted, there's just this one message that God is driving home, God still reigns. And so we're going to continue looking at this. We're going to be looking at a few chapters tonight, actually Daniel 8, 9, and 10. So we're going to cover more than we've ever covered before and end the series next week. And so if you just want to join me uh, in, in Daniel chapter 8, it begins like this in Daniel 8, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the king of Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me earlier. And so Daniel is having another vision. This is at a time in his life when he's older, he's in his 60s now, he's been working for that government, and now there's a new king, Belshazzar, and his career is on the back burner. And we've talked about Belshazzar before, right? Because we looked at a chronology of, of Daniel's life and the kings that he worked for, first Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar, and then the Persian kings. And so after we kind of looked at that like timeline of Daniel's life, Daniel is now saying, hey, these are some important visions that I had that are important for future people to know, and so even though we've covered my life, I just want to write these down for you to remember and to learn from. And so we covered the first vision last night, and so now it's the second vision. And so Daniel is living during the time now with the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, and King Belshazzar was a horrible king. He was just known for his cruelty. If you remember back to when we talked about the writing on the wall in Belshazzar, there's Greek historians who say that he was just so egotistic, so obsessed with himself. He was like once hunting with one of his noblemen. His nobleman and shot the deer before he did and so he killed the nobleman because he beat him to it another time he was just in his in his throne room and uh, and uh, and one of the people there mentioned that another one of the uh, the the like the courtiers in there was handsome and so he killed the other guy because someone had called him handsome in his presence like this was just a cruel and outrageously evil ruler and yet it's this first year of his reign Things are not good. And then Daniel gets this vision of what's going to happen. And it totally wrecks him because as God gives him a vision for what's going to happen in the future, it gets 
even worse. And so Daniel has this vision, and it's this vision is filled with different signs and symbols and crazy stuff. There's basically a ram and then a unicorn goat that fight, and the unicorn goat wins, and then it like becomes a transformer and transform, transforms into a different goat, right? So it's this crazy symbols, and then an angel shows up, tells him what it means, and then at that time, it says Daniel is just languishing because with the interpretation of this vision met with all the crazy symbols was that life was going to get more difficult for the Jewish people, that there was going to be a king who would come and do even more damage to the land of Israel. And so Daniel is living during this time when not only things are bad, but he's having this vision from God that things are going to get worse. And this is where we're left in Daniel chapter 8, that he goes on his way just in even more despair. And in the midst of this time of this despair that Daniel has, he's reading the scriptures and he falls upon a verse. Daniel is reading the scriptures and he reads Jeremiah, where God says, your people are in captivity, but after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. And actually, it talks about that in Jeremiah in two places, Jeremiah 25, and then in everybody's like favorite verse from the Tanakh or like from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, right? If there's any verse that like Christians and believers love, right, it's Jeremiah 29, 11, right? If anybody has and on their journals, or if you get a tattoo of a verse, it's probably that verse. If people memorize a verse from the Tanakh, from the Old Testament, it's probably Jeremiah 29, 11. And that's actually the passage that Daniel read in the midst of his despair. And so he reads this verse, and actually, Jeremiah 20, 11 is not all rainbows and unicorns and glitter dust. Jeremiah 29 is where God says, yes, I'm putting the Jewish people into exile because of the evil, the oppression, the sin. And he's like, you're going to have people who are going to tell you it's going to get better and they're lying. He says, get comfortable in Babylon because you're going to be there for the rest of your life for 70 years. And in the midst of this difficult word that God gives the Jewish people, God then says this, and these are the verses that Daniel read in the midst of when things were getting bad to worse. It says in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 10, For thus says Adonai, after 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will visit you. I will fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for shalom and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And so in the midst of this time when Daniel is struggling in a country where he's in exile, in the midst of just having this vision from God that's saying things are going to get worse, he has this moment of hope as he just looks at the scriptures and he sees that after 70 years, God says he's going to bring them back into the land. And Daniel, he was there when they left the land. And so when Daniel reads this, he realizes, wait a second, it's been about 67 years since this prophecy was made. We're just a few years away from when God says this is going to happen. And so when Daniel reads this, it gives him this hope and he turns into prayer. And so, and that's what we find in Daniel chapter nine, this prayer of Daniel. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. 
the lessons that we can learn from Daniel's prayer because in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his despair, he's left with a hope that ignites this prayer. And so I think for us, as we go through difficult times, as we go through a Sukkot that's been like no other Sukkot, as sometimes some of us are going through weeks that have been more difficult than weeks before, there are lessons here in Daniel chapter 9 for us, in Daniel 9 and 10 about prayer that just really gave me a greater sense of hope with prayer and expectancy. Because I think so often we can pray and feel like nothing happens. I remember when I went to college at uh, UT, the University of Tampa, we had a professor there. He had grown up Mormon, became disillusioned with faith, and he made it his goal as a sociology professor to try to do research that would show people that religion was false and fake and things like that. And one of the, one of the studies that they had done was they had, uh, were looking at people who, had, uh, who were in hospital for like heart attacks and strokes, and they had people pray for them. And the results of this study, they basically prayed nuns to pray for people, paid nuns to pray for people, and uh, the people that the nuns paid for did worse. And so uh, basically said, the end result is that prayer doesn't have any effect. It's bad. And I think to myself, I don't think that's the best way to test prayer, to pay some nuns and hope that turns things around. But I think it hits, uh, it hits and resonates that sometimes we can feel like we pray and it's a waste of time. And yet what's interesting in this moment of despair that Daniel's going through, he prays and things happen. It says in Daniel 9, the day he prays, immediately an angel comes to him and says, God's given me the answer. It's right away. And then in Daniel chapter 10, again, we're going to find him praying. And another angel appears and says, uh, it's taken me 21 days to get here, but I was sent from God the moment you started praying. And so as I look at Daniel's prayer, I say, there's something about the way that Daniel prays where it's not a waste of time. There's something about the way that Daniel prays that even in the midst of despair, God shows up and does something incredible. And so I kind of want to take a look at the few things we can see from these chapters about, about prayer from Daniel. And as we look at it, he reads this section in Jeremiah, and then it says, he read, he read it, and so it says in, in chapter 9, verse 3, So I set my face to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And then it gives this prayer. And the first thing I notice about this prayer is that it's born out of the scriptures. Like as you read this prayer, it's just dripping with phrases that come from the Torah, from, from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy, phrases that David used in the Psalms. As we look at these passages, it just reminds us of the scriptures. And the first thing I see from prayer from Daniel's life is that his prayers are born out of the scriptures. And I think so often for me sometimes with prayer, my motivation and how I get started is not out of the scriptures. And yet I see when Daniel begins with the scriptures, it begins a prayer that changes things. And I remember reading from uh, George Mueller, and George Mueller was someone who, in the, uh, in the 1800s, he helped tens of thousands of orphans 
uh, starting orphanages, educating them, helping them develop their lives, transform the lives of tens of thousands of children across England. And one of the things he said is that when he would start to pray, he used to just start his devotions in the morning with prayer, but his mind would start to wander. Right after a few minutes, he's starting to think about what he's going to have for breakfast, what's going to have later in the day. But then he made a switch, and what he started to do was go to the scriptures first, and then out of the scriptures begin to pray. To use the scriptures in a way where that became the springboard for his prayers, and it revolutionized his life. And actually, if you remember back to uh, to the beginning of this series in Daniel, we talked about a story with George Mueller that one day he's on a ship going from England to Canada and it's filled with fog and he's like I need to get there by Saturday afternoon for an appointment and the captain says no way in purgatory are you going to get there by Saturday afternoon and so he says I have never when I pray I have never failed once to get audience with the king and he will not fail me now and so he goes to pray and as he finishes praying the captain is like oh I guess I'll pray too and George Miller just taps him on the shoulder and says don't bother I believe that God has already answered my prayer and he doesn't need to hear your prayer that lacks faith he says God has always received me when I've prayed. He's never missed one appointment. And then they get up from prayer and the clog has, the fog has cleared and he gets to his appointment on Saturday afternoon. And this, the legacy of George Mueller's life was that every time he prayed, he saw God come through. And for someone who ran a ministry that helped tens of thousands of children in orphanages across England, he never asked for money once because his, he, what he felt impressed from God personally was that when I need something, I'm going to pray. And when I look at George Mueller's life, I'm blown away by his prayers, and it begins with this. His prayers were birthed out of the scriptures, the same as Daniel's. And so as I read this from Daniel, I think, God, how can I pray in a way that's not a waste of time? I see here that Daniel, when he prays, it's born out of the scriptures. And I think that's one of the things that Rabbi Steve has really uh, impressed upon me growing up here. I remember in high school, Rabbi Steve would encourage me to pray the scriptures. And it's just something consistently he's encouraged me to do. And I can see this is what Daniel did. The first lesson from Daniel's prayer. The first is that he prayed the scriptures. And then the second lesson as I look at Daniel chapter 9 is that I see, as I look at these chapters, I see that when Daniel prays, he just expresses how he, he's really feeling, right? I think sometimes in prayer, we can feel like there's a certain way that we're supposed to pray. And it just fits the mold. And yet when, we, and when I see the way Daniel prays, I see the way he lives, it doesn't do that. He expresses how he really feels. And this chapter talks about him in a in mourning, in languishing. It talks about him during, um, during Daniel chapter 10 where he's praying and it says he was in such a state of mourning he it says I ate no food rich food meat uh, nor did I drink any wine or annoy myself with oil like when he was seeking God he didn't just sugarcoat it and said I'm supposed to be happy all the time when I'm seeking God he expressed how he really felt and I think for me it's just this lesson I see in Daniel I see it over and over again as I read the Psalms where David just writes pour out your heart to God that as they sought God they didn't sugarcoat coded and make it what they thought God wanted to hear, but they were just honest about how they really felt. 
And as I look at this passage, I see Daniel was just going to do that. He was going to express to God how he really felt about what was happening. And as he does that, as he's vulnerable with God about how he really feels, God shows up to him. And so the first thing I see is that Daniel's prayers are born out of the scriptures. Then I see that his prayers, he expresses how he really feels. And then the last thing I see about his prayer is that when Daniel prays, when Daniel prays, he exposes his weaknesses to God. I think one of the interesting things about every single time when Daniel prays in these chapters, he's always fasting. And I think the thing about fasting, as I, as I see in the scriptures, that every single time it's supposed to think to reveal our weaknesses, right? That when we're fasting and praying, we realize that maybe we're not as strong as we think we are, and it just reminds us of how desperate and dependent we are on God. And so as we look at these scriptures, Daniel is fasting, just exposing his weakness to God and to himself, that ultimately he's dependent upon God. And so he fasts. It says, it says here in chapter 10, right, I mentioned he said he had no rich food. It said he had no meat, wine. And basically it says that this is happening during the month of Nisan, and it's happening for three weeks. So basically he had the worst Passover ever. Like right during Passover, we're already eating matzah, right? And basically he not only was on a matzah diet, he went keto and vegetarian at the same time. He was like, no rich fruits. He couldn't have the carbs, no meat. I mean, it was like the worst. I cannot imagine a worse Passover than that. And yet Daniel says, when I am seeking God, I have to do it in a way that exposes my weakness, that reminds me that I am desperate and dependent on God. And so when Daniel prays these prayers, he does it exposing his weakness, desperate and dependent on God. And as he does this, as he prays in a way that his prayers are birthed out of the scriptures, as he prays in a way where he expresses how he really feels, as he prays in a way where he exposes his weaknesses to God, God shows up and these angels appear to him and God gives him a supernatural response. And so when Daniel prays this way, God answers. And yet what's interesting to me about what God, God's answer is, is it's not necessarily the answer that Daniel is hoping for, right? Daniel is praying out of Jeremiah 29 where he's like, God, after 70 years, you're supposed to bring us back into the land. And when the angel comes, the angel says, yes, that's God's promise. But what that he then says is he does this plan words and he says, you're looking for 70 years. He says, but in 70 weeks. And then he gives this prophecy of the Messiah, of when the Messiah is going to come. And what's interesting is when Daniel is praying for an answer to his immediate problem, when the angel shows up, the angel doesn't address the immediate issue that Daniel's praying for. He points him to the Messiah. And so what's so interesting to me is I know that as I pray like Daniel, I can expect that I'm not wasting time, that God is going to show up. And yet, as I read from Daniel, I can see that sometimes God's answer is not going to be what I immediately want to hear. 
And yet what I can see is that when God points him to Messiah, what he's saying is that right now things are difficult and you had these visions that things are going to get even worse. And yet God's answer for him to stay faithful, to endure to the end, to move through these times of difficulty is to point him to the Messiah and to say that when the Messiah is going to come, ultimately the Messiah will make things right. And so as we look at Daniel, we find this model for prayer, but also this hope in prayer where God says, even in the difficulties, ultimately things will be right because Yeshua, he will ultimately make them right. And what the crazy thing about this prophecy is it's not what any of us would expect about the Messiah. Because it's in this prophecy that it says that when the Messiah comes, it says he is going to be cut off and have nothing. It's this prophecy that the Messiah is going to (laughs) die. What's interesting is when Daniel's in this despair and he's looking for hope from God, God doesn't give him this prophecy of a victorious Messiah who's going to come, but he gives him this prophecy that Messiah is going to die and to suffer. And I think one of the amazing things about our faith in the God of the Scriptures and our faith in Yeshua is that we have the only God who chooses to suffer for his people. And so in the midst of the difficulties that we face, right, you have all these other gods in Babylon, right, who say if you just offer sacrifices to us, right, if you, if you pay your dues and give your sacrifices, then maybe uh, God is going to just sprinkle blessings on your life. And it's this, that's all that they had in paganism. And yet what Daniel prays to a God, he prays to a God who knows his pain, to a God who just doesn't abstractly knows what it's like, but personally knows what it's like. That when he prays to God, God gives him this revelation that God is going to personally know what he went through because the Messiah would come and personally bear their burdens, bear their sins. And in this prophecy that God gives him in Daniel chapter 9, He tells him that, yes, things are going to go from bad to worse, but that ultimately we don't pray to a king who lives in an ivory tower that doesn't care, but that we follow a king who is willing to die in our our place and take the punishment that we deserve, who can empathize with our weaknesses and what we're going through and who will then ultimately make things right because in this upside-down kingdom, it's through his death that he defeats every evil. And so as we look at these passages in, in Daniel 8, 9, and 10, what we're left with is that even when things are not good, even as Daniel goes through things that go from bad to worse, He prays to a God who hears, he prays to a God who knows, and he prays to a God who answers. And so as Jillian leads us into worship, and as we just go into the rest of Shabbat, it's this opportunity for us to know that in this Sukkot that's not like any other Sukkot, in this Sukkot where we can't enjoy Sukkah hopping, in this, in this year that is so different from other years, in this time of chaos and uncertainty, that we have a God who knows what we go through and a God who answers because of what Yeshua did for us. And so if you just want to join me in prayer. Father, thank you 
that you care about what we go through. Thank you, God, that you personally experience what we go through in life because of what Yeshua went through, that he bore our burdens, carried our sins, and knows our experience. And God, would you help us to have confidence in you through every time of despair and every time of difficulty, that we would be able to look to your scriptures and birth our prayers, God, out of the words that you wrote, that we would be able to expose our weaknesses to you because you are a God who meets us in our weaknesses, and that we would be able to express how we're really feeling to you because it's there that you meet us. God, we thank you that you are a king who gave up his life for us and invites us into everlasting life with you. In Yeshua's name, amen.